Good morning. Uh, my name is Pastor Ken, and it is my privilege to share God's Word this morning. Uh, I want to start by sharing something that I am uh, not quite ashamed of, but I'm also not proud of. Um, our house still has Christmas lights on the outside. Uh, some people are supportive of that. Others of you are too kind to look with disdain uh, at, uh, at us. Maybe that's you right there. Uh, but uh, I must say, I, part of it, it's been a month since Christmas, and so I, there is a little bit of an embarrassment that I might have over that. Uh, but I'm not because, well, they're icicle lights, and we call them winter lights at our house, not Christmas lights, and they make me happy. And so uh, we still have them up and still light them up. Uh, they've also taught me something this last week that is, uh, uh, that I'll say is, in, is significant and uh, I'd like to use that to introduce this message. Uh, did you know uh, that my Christmas lights that were carefully tuned to come on, carefully timed to come on just before sunrise and to turn on just after sunset are shining in the light now? You are not nearly as amazed uh, as I am. Do you know what this means? The days are getting longer. Isn't that a good thing? Uh, how many of you are tired of the darkness? I thought so. Uh, I'm, not, uh, I'm a lifelong Michigander, so I, I must say I don't really get depressed over it, but as the days get longer, I like the light. It is nice not to get up and it be dark for as long as it has been. Uh, it is nice, it is good to be out of the darkness and into the light. Uh, I think that we all uh, grow tired of the darkness. Uh, and really not just the physical darkness, but the darkness of the world that we live in. Uh, have you noticed that it's dark out there? Uh, it really is. We deal with the, the darkness of sin, uh, of a culture that uh, in many ways is turned upside down. Uh, we see the darkness of uh, personal tragedy and illness in our families and in our lives. Uh, really, it breaks my heart uh, reading the prayer chains that go out from our church of uh, um, uh, the struggles that people have. There is a lot of darkness in the world. Uh, and are you ready for light? Wouldn't it be good for there to be light? Uh, in our study of Matthew, we've come to Matthew chapter 4, verse 12, and I'd encourage you to turn in your Bibles there. And, and this passage reminds me, and tells me, teaches me, corrects me to say, you know what, while there is darkness... God is doing something about it. He has uh, in the person of Christ. Uh, and we're going to explore that a little bit uh, this morning. Uh, I'd like to begin by reading this passage. I'd invite you to stand with me uh, as we read God's word uh, together. Matthew 4, uh, beginning in verse 12. Uh, now when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, there the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You may be seated. Uh, dear Father, 
Uh, I thank you uh, for your word, which is truth, uh, and it is hope, uh, and it is life uh, for those who receive it. And I pray that you would help us to understand uh, your word and what it means uh, for our lives and for our world. Uh, we love you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, this passage is filled with wonderful biblical names, and uh, we probably, for clarity's sake, ought to spend a couple of minutes identifying uh, some of uh, these names. Uh, there are two regions and two cities and two seasons, two suns uh, that are central to this passage. The first uh, two regions, actually one is not mentioned explicitly in these verses, uh, but it says, when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. Uh, in Matthew chapter 3, we read that Jesus had gone to John the Baptist to be baptized. Uh, and that happened in the southern part of the land of Israel, uh, in the region of Judea, uh, along the Jordan River. And that's the very bottom of that map. And uh, when John was baptized, either shortly after the baptism of Christ, uh, or it perhaps may have taken a little bit longer, uh, Matthew is not interested in a strict chronology. In fact, uh, his story of the arrest of Christ uh, doesn't appear, or the, the arrest of John the Baptist uh, does not appear until Matthew chapter 14 uh, as he unfolds the story of Christ. He does that for his own purposes. Uh, but here he references John is arrested, so Jesus travels from the south up to another region, the second region, that of Galilee in the north, uh, to the west of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, and there it mentions two cities, two cities in Galilee, uh, the first, Nazareth, Jesus' hometown. Jesus returns uh, there briefly uh, before continuing on to Capernaum, uh, which was a slightly larger town on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. And uh, that would become a center of Jesus' ministry, his public ministry, which was beginning uh, right here uh, in Matthew chapter 4. Uh, so we have two regions, we have two cities. Uh, perhaps the most unfamiliar of the names that appear here are the names Zebulun and Naphtali. Uh, these are two sons, uh, two brothers, uh, two tribes. These are two sons of uh, Jacob, uh, who are heads of the two of the tribes of Israel. Uh, they're not the most famous of sons. Uh, Judah, you may have heard of, uh, was the tribe of kings. Levi, uh, the tribe of priests. Uh, but Zebulun and Naphtali, uh, well, to be honest, they kind of have middle son syndrome. You know middle son syndrome? Uh, those sons that get lost uh, in, the, in the wash in some ways. Uh, not the oldest, not the youngest. And that's uh, Zebulun and Naphtali's fate. Uh, but when God gave the promised land to the Israelites, uh, Zebulun and Naphtali, uh, they settled in this northern part of the land, that area just to the west of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, and so... Uh, John the Baptist, or not John the Baptist, when Matthew uh, recounts Jesus' story of him moving from Judea to Galilee, uh, Matthew sees in this movement another instance of Christ paralleling the Old Testament scriptures, uh, fulfilling a prophecy, repeating a type, uh, as he had with the virgin birth in Matthew 1. Uh, and saw in it the fulfillment of Isaiah, chapter 7, verse 14, uh, of a child who would be born of a virgin. As he had in Matthew chapter 2, uh, when Jesus returned from Egypt uh, after uh, fleeing from Herod's wrath, uh, and he referred us, the reader, to Hosea 11.1, 1, and said, this is Christ fulfilling the uh, example of the Old Testament. 
Uh, he now sees a foreshadowing in the past that's fulfilled in the person of Jesus. Uh, this simple movement of Jesus, uh, it uh, accomplishes something, it repeats something that was revealed in the Old Testament. Uh, he takes us back to Isaiah chapter 9. I'd encourage you to turn in your Bibles back to Isaiah 9. Um, Isaiah 9 is where this prophecy originally occurs. Uh, Isaiah the prophet lived in a time that was also very dark. Uh, the darkness that he and the people of Israel faced at that time was the threat of invasion uh, by a ruthless Assyrian army uh, who were renowned for their cruelty, uh, their lack of mercy to uh, the countries that they invaded. And uh, it faced with the, the possibility of judgment, uh, God revealed to Isaiah in chapter 8 uh, that the Assyrians were actually going to be victorious. Uh, in the middle of chapter 8, he says, I have hidden my face from my people. Why? Uh, well, right at the end of chapter 8, he says, My people, uh, they speak contemptuously against their king and their God, uh, and they turn their faces upward. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. Uh, this was a dark time for Isaiah and the people of Israel. Uh, judgment was coming, and it would be visited on Israel because of their, uh, their contemptuousness towards God. But in the midst of that darkness, uh, God revealed to Isaiah a vision of a better future. And that future is fulfilled in Christ. Uh, in verses 1 and 2 of Isaiah 9, uh, it says, there, But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time, he did bring into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. That's the judgment that uh, Isaiah was facing. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, the Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light, and those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Uh, these words spoken centuries before Christ were ultimately fulfilled in him. Uh, if we continued in reading, uh, we'd see that Isaiah predicts a time of peace uh, when, the, uh, when the uniform of the soldier and the boots that they wear would all be burned because it would be a time of peace. Because in verse 6, the more, more famous prophecy is spoken, uh, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Uh, the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. In the midst of the darkness of Isaiah's day, God said, there is a future coming, a child and a son, uh, whose rule will reign and will be marked uh, by him being a wonderful counselor. Uh, this man will be more than just a man. He'll be mighty God and an everlasting father, and he will bring peace to the land. Uh, you know, this seems distant and far away for us, but I think there is a word of hope uh, in it for us. Uh, perhaps you feel like there's an awful lot of darkness in your world or in this world. Uh, sometimes it seems even overwhelming. Uh, we feel powerless and hopeless. Uh, but in the midst of that, has God ever stopped working? In Isaiah's day, it may have seemed that way, but God said, no, I'm preparing something greater and bigger and brighter than you realize. And I'm laying the groundwork here and I'm accomplishing it. I will bring it to pass. 
Don't give up on God. He is at work. Isaiah 9 uh, foreshadows something that Christ ultimately fulfills. Uh, he brings, uh, the heart of this prophecy is that the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. Those dwelling in the region in the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned, and that light is Christ. Later on in Matthew, he says, I am the light of the world. He comes to bring light in this darkness. Uh, while we think of certain things with regard to darkness, uh, in Scripture, uh, it says quite a lot, actually. Uh, the darkness in a metaphorical sense describing the world appears over a 150 times in Scripture. And uh, it talks about, uh, there's some different characteristics of what living in darkness looks like. And we need to understand those to understand how Christ was the light that shines in the darkness. Uh, the first of those characteristics that I see is that darkness uh, is a symbol of moral ignorance. The reality that apart from God and Christ, people are either naturally uh, or sometimes willfully ignorant of right and wrong. Psalm 82.5 says, They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. Uh, in John 12.35, Jesus says, You need to walk in the light for as long as I'm here, because the one who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. Uh, darkness is a state of uh, ignoring what is right and wrong. Uh, in our day and age, it's somewhat of a sign that says right and wrong is determined by what what I believe or what I feel on the inside. That as long as I'm true to myself, that's the important thing. Or rather than right and wrong is something that exists outside of me. Uh, that it's rooted in the character of God. Uh, there's moral ignorance. A lack of understanding of this world under its creator. But in Christ, the light has dawned. Uh, in the land of moral ignorance, he gives moral clarity. Uh, he lived it. He taught it. Uh, and he knew how to operate this better than I knew. Beautiful. There it is. That was seamless, wasn't it? Thanks for coming along uh, with me. I don't do this very often, so thank you for your patience. Uh, Christ came to give moral clarity in the way that he lived, in what he taught. He said, you know what? What is right and wrong is unclear, uh, but I will reveal to you what is true. Uh, in Matthew 5 through 7, uh, we're going to study the Sermon on the Mount uh, in just a few weeks. And in it, he spoke to people who, who said, you know what, as long as I fall short of murder, it doesn't matter if I hate my brother. Uh, as long as I don't act on my adulterous impulses, it's okay. Uh, that it's okay to love my neighbor and hate your enemy. Uh, that seemed like right and wrong. It seemed normal. It seemed natural. Uh, but Jesus says, I say something different to you. Uh, I say that what happens in your heart matters to God. Uh, it is just as significant as what you do on the outside. I say to you, love your enemy. Uh, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who despitefully use you. Pray for those who despitefully use you. That's not natural. 
Uh, that's not normal. You know, I have to confess, when I, I read those verses this week, uh, I realized that uh, I, I don't, I, most of my life I haven't really understood those in a really a deep and significant way. Uh, I say because... Right? The first service was more on my side uh, than you were. Uh, but as a mostly nice guy, the idea that I have enemies, that people are against me, uh, it seemed like a foreign concept. Uh, there might be people who are not as close to me as not, but really an enemy. It seemed like a foreign concept. Uh, but as I was reading this, and uh, uh, actually in some of my, uh, my King James background, and I said, pray for those who despitefully use you, uh, that passage struck me in a way that it had not before. And I realized when the rules keep changing every three weeks, uh, when people I know and care about are not able to, to work the jobs that they would like to, when my children uh, can't play sports that they enjoy, I feel despitefully used. It feels dark. I feel helpless and frustrated. And there's a natural response that I feel welling up inside of me. And it is not to pray for those who despitefully use me. It is not to bless those who curse me. It is not to love those who sure seem like the enemy. It's not natural. It's not normal. Uh, how can Christ ask, ask us to do this thing? You know what, as I, as I meditate on those passages, it reminded me of, uh, of an experience that I have from time to time when I play a card game. Uh, we play a variety of card games in my house. In fact, uh, uh, actually, we play some obscure games. Any cribbage players out there? There's three of us, all right. I was taught that by my dad, uh, and we play a lot of cribbage. Uh, and one of the things that I realized that after we play cribbage a lot with my dad, and then we'd switch over a different card game, and perhaps you've had this experience with different games, and you're, you're playing one game, and you switch over to another game, and you get your cards, and you say, ooh, this is a really good hand, or a really bad hand, and then you realize you're not playing that other game anymore. Uh, my cribbage hand that uh, is based on cards that add up to 15 doesn't translate uh, to a euchre hand, uh, not even a little bit. And so those cards that seem good or they seem bad, uh, really it's meaningless because it's, it's, that's from a different game. Uh, and as I was thinking about loving your enemies, I realized maybe God's playing a different game than I have. Perhaps the game that I've been playing is about me getting what I want, when I want it. Uh, it's about my success, uh, about my advancement. It's about the way things that, that I think ought to go, uh, the way my will being done. Uh, but God says, you know what, you're looking at your cards and you felt like you were dealt a bad hand. Uh, but I'm playing a different game. And in my game, those cards can be used well, to shine in the darkness. Uh, if you live a life of moral clarity, uh, a life that's marked by God's view of morality, you have an opportunity to shine in the darkness, even with those cards that were dealt to you. If you're playing God's game, not my game, uh, to shine like the light in the darkness, uh, I have to see right and wrong as God does it, not by uh, by my own rules. Uh, living in darkness, 
others a danger of moral ignorance, but living in the light of Christ. Uh, of what, that's why we study Matthew, to understand his life and his teaching so that we understand what right and wrong truly are and we have moral clarity. Uh, well, darkness has another effect that we see in Scripture. Uh, not only does it uh, a symbol of moral ignorance, it is also something that conceals wickedness. Romans 13, 12 and 13 says, So then let us cast off the works of darkness. Uh, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, uh, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in, not in quarreling and jealousy. How did those two get in there? That's kind of bad company for innocent little things like quarreling uh, and jealousy. Uh, but no, Romans 13 says, no, these are all works that are done in darkness. Uh, when they appear to be hidden. Uh, John 3.19, Jesus says, People love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Uh, in Scripture, darkness is seen as something that appears uh, to cover and hide darkness, to make it uh, invisible, a secret, unknown. But in Christ, the light has dawned. Nothing is hidden. Is hidden. Uh, Jesus came uh, to show that there are no secrets. He knows the content of our hearts. Uh, he shines on the religious elite and exposes their hypocrisy. Uh, your righteousness, he says to the Pharisees, is done to impress those around you. Uh, and as a result, that righteousness that's done for the people around you earns you no credit with God. Uh, but he also shines the light of his righteousness on the common, ordinary, everyday man. Uh, he says in another place to them, you want to make me king because I gave you bread. Uh, as long as I met your needs, you're willing to follow me or use me to accomplish your purposes. Uh, but I say that hidden desire uh, is as clear as day for me. I shine my light. In Matthew 10, 26, he says, uh, nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be made known. Jesus sees in the darkness as well as the light. Psalm 139, 11 and 12, he says, If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. The reality is when the darkness wraps around us, when it's late at night and no one can see, uh, when we think no one knows, no one cares, when our uh, deeds are in darkness, uh, when in the dark places of my soul and yours, uh, what I think is hidden is not hidden because God is the God of the light and the dark. Uh, he can see just fine. And he says, I have come to shine the light in the middle of darkness, to reveal what is concealed, uh, so that you will be drawn to the light, uh, to see that the, what is dark is destructive. And I want you to follow me and to live in the light. Darkness conceals, uh, but nothing is hidden before God. Uh, darkness in Scripture is also seen as Satan's domain. Uh, in Ephesians 6.12 it says, We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, uh, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers in this present darkness. Uh, Colossians 1.13 similarly says that we have been delivered from the domain of darkness 
and transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son. There's a very real sense that scripture speaks of Satan being the god of this age, uh, the prince of the power of the air. Uh, Darkness is revealed as we live under the darkness of Satan's rule. Uh, But Christ is light. He invades Satan's territory. Uh, Last week we saw he resisted temptation. Uh, Satan did not have power over him uh, or over us. Uh, Christ plays by Satan's rules. He invades Satan's turf. And just when it appeared that Satan had won, it was revealed that he lost everything. Uh, A cross on which Christ died uh, became a tomb in which he rose from the dead, breaking the power of sin, breaking uh, the power of death, uh, defeating Satan. You know, there's probably a word of comfort there. When you feel that the darkness is winning uh, in your life, uh, perhaps personally, the struggles that you're dealing with, Christ never stops working. Uh, This passage talks about the beginning of his ministry, that he is a light. The light is dawned. It's coming. It's growing brighter and brighter. Uh, But at the end of Jesus' ministry, he says, you know what, that light wasn't extinguished with my departure. He said, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Uh, The darkness does not defeat uh, Satan, or does not defeat Christ. Uh, He is with us, and he gives us the ability Uh, to shine uh, with him. Uh, While we, in a sense, live in Satan's domain, we bear a light that Christ, that Satan cannot conquer. Uh, Satan has been defeated in Christ. The light has dawned. Uh, Lastly, in death we see that land, uh, most explicitly in this passage, is described, darkness is seen as the land where death reigns. In verse 16, he says, uh, and for those dwelling in the region and the shadow of death. Um, it mirrors what is said in Luke 179 where uh, uh, Christ is said to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. Uh, the reality is we live in a world that is, that sh- uh, death is the shadow that hangs over us all, even as most of the time we try to avoid it, to avoid thinking about it, Uh, to consume our lives with thinking that there are other enemies that are a bigger deal, Uh, that the real enemy in my life is that I don't have enough money, uh, or the wrong politicians are in office. Uh, Sometimes I live as though my wife or my kids are the real problem in this world. Uh, For others, it's poverty or racial injustice or uh, lack of education, uh, immigration or the environment. Uh, That's the battle of our age. Uh, But Christ says, no, you know what the big problem with this world is under the domain of Satan? It's none of those things. The real problem is that we live in the shadow of death. Um, It is real. Uh, You know, death visited our family this year, uh, my father passing away. Um, It's difficult. Uh, He won't come back. Uh, My mom, uh, uh, one of the challenges that we deal with is her dementia. Uh, She asks where dad is probably a dozen times a day. (coughs) And so we have to explain it again. And again, you know what? Death is the real enemy. But Christ is the light. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Um, I can't take away my mom's loss or our loss. uh, But I can 
rest in a promise of a real person, Jesus Christ, who died and rose again, that death is the enemy, but it does not have the last word. Christ is life. He is light. Uh, he is hope. And there is joy uh, even in the midst of loss because Christ has dawned. He has come into this world to show that death has not, does not have the final say. Christ is life. Jesus came uh, to bring light uh, to this world. Uh, a little bit later in Matthew, he makes a, a tremendous claim when he says, I am the light of the world. And somehow I find that easier to accept and believe and trust uh, by something he will say in the very next chapter of Matthew 5. Uh, he says, you are the light of the world. Somehow I can accept Christ as the light of the world, but me, uh, me, the light of the world, uh, what does this mean? Uh, in verse Matthew 5, 16, he says, In the same way, let your light shine before men, so that others may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Uh, the reality is Christ is light, uh, but we bear the light of Christ and we have an opportunity to do something. We have a job, a responsibility while we are here. It is, our job is to shine. Uh, how do we shine? Well, partly we live lives of moral clarity. Uh, lives that are rooted in what Scripture says is right and wrong. Uh, lives that are marked by purity in public and in private. Uh, we also proclaim the message that Christ has defeated Satan and we live knowing that death does not have the final word. And so we shine. My question to you is, would an objective look at your life say that you shine uh, or that you smolder in the darkness? Uh, the darkness being the real reality that shapes your perspective and your outlook and your, what you share uh, with this world. Uh, do, pe do people see you and us as marked by the fruit of the Spirit of love and joy and hope? Uh, people who have faith in God that is not rooted on what happens in the world around us uh, but enables us to transcend it and live beyond it because we know that Christ is at work. He is the light. He has come into this world. He is still present through his spirit and it's lived out through us. And that's our job to shine. You know, this world is dark, and I won't deny it. Uh, but the reality is when the world is at its darkest, uh, it is time to shine and the light shines brightness. Light Light shines brightest uh, in the darkness. Uh, you know, maybe you come in here and uh, you say, you know, as we talk about darkness, you say, man, I feel that uh, in our culture, uh, in our lives, in our family, whatever you bring into this place. The reality is, uh, while the darkness is real, uh, God is about a different game. He says, you know what, in that darkness, if you... Let the, the light of Christ shine within you. You will have the opportunity to shine even more so in the darkness. Unless you give in, unless you give up. You are the light of the world. When it is darkness, we must shine.